0: Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning we'll be looking in 2nd Kings chapter 21 at a king called King Manasseh. And the title of the message this morning is An Unbelievable Story. Please enjoy If you have your places in Second Kings chapter 21, I'm going to ask you one last time to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God as we read the Scripture. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 and read down to verse number 9. The Bible says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hesbaba. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. "...after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal, and he made a grove, and he did as Ahab the king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem I will put my name." And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven and the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire and observe times and use enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. And he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set graven images of the grove that uh, he had made in the house, of which the Lord said to David and to his Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe and do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearken not. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Now skip down to verse number 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Beside his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin, and doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now keep your Bibles open this morning. I'm going to turn a couple places here in Second Kings The title of the message this morning is An Unbelievable Story. An Unbelievable Story. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask you to clear our minds and our hearts and our thoughts, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you help us all to focus on what the Word of God has to say today. Dear Lord, may it bathe us and wash over us and may we take take it home when we leave here today and just chew on it over and over throughout the next coming week. May we be fed this morning from the Word of God. For as this in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, Amen. You may be seated. Now, you may say, Brother Brett, how in the world could you say that this story is unbelievable? How could you say that this particular story in the Bible is unbelievable when, in fact, you know, there may be some people in here, you've never even heard of Manasseh. Brother Brad, if I've never even heard of Manasseh, how can you say that this story is unbelievable? Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we actually live in a day and time where most people say that the Bible is unbelievable. They look at the story of, oh, six days of creation? <laughs> that is unbelievable. Oh, really now? Is it unbelievable? Did you know that there are over 37 trillion complex cells in your whole body? Did you know that your hand alone has six hundred and fifty over 650,000 nerve endings? Did you know that your eye retina... It contains 150 rod-shaped cells that differentiate light from dark. And did you know that same retina has 6 million cone-shaped cells that allow you to see millions of variations of color? Did you know that your heart beats 100,000 times a day? And did you know that it pumps blood through 80,000 miles of blood vessels? That's enough blood vessels to almost go around the world four times. So you know, you know, I I would ask you this morning which is more unbelievable, that the intricate design that maintains the delicate balance of life was an accident, or that an all-knowing, wise designer created it. I put forth today to you that it takes it takes less faith to believe creation than it does to be believe the alternatives. Some would say the miracle accounts in the Bible are unbelievable. Oh, a nation walking through the Red Sea on dry land, that's unbelievable. Oh, a man in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights, that's unbelievable. The walls of Jericho falling down, that's unbelievable. A man walking on water and raising people from the dead, oh, that's unbelievable. Let me ask you a question. If creation was created by a supreme being who designed it all, would it not make sense that he could step into that creation at his will, suspend the laws that he made for his purposes anytime he gets ready? Would that not make sense? So if you believe in a, in a supreme creator, designer, then the miracles of the Bible, they don't seem all that unbelievable now, do they? The story we're gonna talk about this morning is unbelievable. There is a part about this story that is so incredibly unbelievable. Um, I'm not gonna tell you about it yet. I'm gonna hold you in suspense until the very end. And when I get to the very end, I'll tell you the unbelievable part of the story. A college student walked into a professor's office and he said, sir, I worked really hard on that paper and I did not deserve the F that you gave me. I didn't deserve that. The college professor looked up from his desk and said, you're right, you didn't deserve that. But you know, the university won't let me give you a lower grade, so that's what, that's what I gave you. And you know, and that's kinda how we feel about Manasseh. It is impossible for me and you They give Manasseh a lower grade than God gave him in 2 Kings 21. It's impossible for us to give him a lower grade. There are many parts about this story that's unbelievable, but I'm going to give you three aspects this morning that's unbelievable about King Manasseh. Number one this morning is we have unbelievable depravity. Unbelievable depravity. The Bible says in verse 9 that Manasseh seduced the children of Israel to do so much evil that the children of Israel were doing more evil than the people who were in Canaan before Israel got there. How unbelievable is that? As we read about Manasseh in this chapter, there are four parts of, this, of his unbelievable depravity. The first part is idolatry. He has his first unbelievable depravity. The first thing under that is idolatry. In verse number three, it says, for he built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, destroyed. I want you to remember this morning that Manasseh had a good father. His father this morning was a man named Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah led the nation to revival. Uh, uh, Hezekiah... uh, uh, excuse me, I lost my place for just a second. Um, and man, you see Hezekiah, all the good reforms that Hezekiah did, Manasseh began to undo. see Hezekiah would tear down the, he, he would tear down the the groves and he would tear down the altars and what would Manasseh do? Manasseh would would build them back It's like Manasseh was trying to undo all the good that his father did people. People, one of the things that Hezekiah did is he tore down the high places. And one of the things that Manasseh did is he brought the high places back. You know what the high places were all about? When you were to worship God, public worship of God was supposed to take place at the temple. That's where you were supposed to do public worship. But what people did is they built these high places and they said, oh, I don't want to go to the temple. Uh, I want to go, I want to worship God here. And so what they would do is they would build these high places and you see, and even though at these high places they were worshiping Jehovah, it was always a bridge to idolatry. You want to know why? Because worship my way means God my way. And it always led to idolatry at various times in in Jehovah's in uh, Judah's history they would worship God at these high places but it always be a a bridge to idolatry you don't believe me just read Romans chapter one verse number three it says that that he reared up altars to false gods he made groves he even put altars in the house of God you read that he put false gods in he put false gods in the temple of God. The Bible says that he built altars to the host of heaven. See, people in that day, is they would worship the sun and they would worship the moon and the stars and they'd worship fertility and they'd worship forces of nature. And the, uh, the rituals that they would do to worship uh, these gods is so depraved, I can't even tell you what they did here in mixed company today. That's how depraved their worship of these idols were. He was depraved in idolatry. I want you to see number two this morning. He was depraved in violence. The Bible said this king made blood to flow through the entire land. It says in verse 6 that he made his son to pass through the fire. Made his son to pass through the fire. You know, one of the gods worshipped in that day was a god named Molech. Molech was a big idol. What they would do is they would they would uh, make a fire in Molech's belly and they would stoke that fire and add fire, add wood to that fire until Molech's arms got red hot. When Molech's arms got red hot, they would take their babies and they would take their infants. And they would throw their babies and their infants in the arms of Molech. And they would watch their babies scream and agonize in pain until they died. That's how you worshipped the God of Molech. You know where Molech was worshipped? He was worshipped in a place called the Valley of Henan. In Christ's day, that became known as the Valley of Gehenna. You see, Gehenna was the garbage dump for Jerusalem people would bring their garbage in in the valley of Gehenna and burn their garbage. And it was said in the valley of Gehenna that the fires of Gehenna never stopped. The fires never stopped. And Jesus used the valley of Gehenna as a picture of hell. You know where all that started? That started here with the worship of Molech. Because after they got done burning and destroying these babies, they would, they would discard their bodies. They would discard their bodies into the valley of Hinnon. You know, there is, folks, let me tell you today, there is no greater sign of depravity for a nation that they would sacrifice their own children. You understand this practice, this practice still happens today. It happens today in the form of a sin called abortion. You understand today that there over 2,500 babies aborted every single day. Every day there are 2,500 babies aborted in our country. Oh, it's very sad that several months ago, the One World Trade Center, you know, you know the one I'm talking about. You remember when they knocked down the other two and everybody said, God bless America, God bless America, and then they built the One World Trade Center? That's what I'm talking about. They took that one World Trade Center and they lit the thing up pink in celebration of a law that was passed in New York that said that abortions could happen in the third trimester all the way up to birth. One week after this, the governor of Virginia got on the radio. The governor of Virginia was praising a new bill. On this new bill would allow abortions to take place while the mother is dilated, so they're talking about, they're talking, he's talking to this radio host, and they're talking about failed abortions. What happens in the case of a failed abortion? Oh, they said, well, if the baby comes out and it's not breathing, whether or not it's resuscitated would be up to the mother and the family. But in the case of a failed abortion and uh, uh, a breathing baby, a conversation would happen between the physician and the mother about what would happen next. You understand what that means? That means while this baby is outside the womb, breathing and living, the doctor and the mom will have a conversation about whether this baby lives or dies. Uh, Let me tell you something. The time difference on these bills does not matter to God. Whether you're in the first trimester, the third trimester, outside the womb, a life is a life. That's all that God cares about. A life is a life. You know what this reveals to us, though? This reveals to us that to the abortionist, they always knew it was a life. They always knew. You see, back, way back when, when they were, they were saying, oh, well, in the first and second trimester, the baby is just a fetus. It's just a lump of cells because it's not viable outside of the mother. No one can argue that a third trimester baby is viable outside the mother. So it wasn't about viability. You know what it's about? It's about the sacrifice of one life, an innocent life. It's about the sacrifice of one life for another life. You know what abortion is? Abortion is a sacrifice on the altar of self. That's what abortion is. It's a sacrifice on the altar of self. That's that's what was happening in the days of Manasseh. I believe as God's people, we should do more to end that kind of depravity. And, and don't, don't you? Don't, wouldn't you think we need to do more? I believe we need to pray. I believe we need to vote our values. But we need to do more than that. Let me give you an unfortunate truth tonight, uh, this morning. An unfortunate truth is, is that even if the law changes, abortions won't stop. Abortions won't stop if the law changes Now don't get me wrong I want the laws to change I need the laws to change But the laws changing is not going to stop abortion You know what is going to stop abortion? Is if the hearts of America get a hold of God The gospel of Jesus Christ Is the only thing that's going to stop abortion You want to know why abortion is so prevalent Today in our society You want to know whose fault it is? You want to know who dropped the ball on that one? I'll tell you who dropped the ball on that one. It's Christian's fault. It's the Christian's fault. We dropped the ball on that one. That's on us. That is our fault. We get so wrapped up in our own lives that we stop caring about spreading the gospel. When a worldly person sins, they sin openly. They don't care who sees. When a Christian sins, Christians sin behind closed doors. When a Christian sins, it's behind closed doors. Christians watch things and do things behind closed doors that they're not supposed to do. It's not the depravity out there that's the reason America's in the position it's in. It's because of the depravity in here. Their sin isn't the reason why we don't have revival in America. It's our sin. Our sin is the reason. Depravity isn't just an out there problem. Depravity is an in here problem. Number three, we see occultism. It says he used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He's involved in occultism. The king of Israel, king of Judah, involved in occultism. And number four, we have rebellion. Now, this was his chief sin. This was his central sin. You see, he takes false gods and puts them in the two courts of the temple as if he's shaking his fist to God and saying, God, I dare you to do something. I want you to remember that that Manasseh had a godly father named Hezekiah. And if you look at 2 Kings chapter 18, and you look at 2 Kings 21, they're almost a mirror image of each other. Almost a mirror image of each other. Because in in chapter 18, that tells us about all the good reforms that Hezekiah did. In chapter 18, he tears down the altars in the groves. And what does Manasseh do in chapter 21? He builds them back. Hezekiah destroys the high places. Manasseh brings them back. Hezekiah crushes and removes the the idols from the temple. Uh, Manasseh brings them back. He builds new idols, puts them back in the temple. Manasseh spent the first part of his reign undoing all the good that his father did. And the way the text mirrors one another, it almost seems personal. It almost seems personal. As a way to attack his father, he tore down his father's legacy. It reeks of rebellion. You know, it would be one thing for Manasseh to do what he did if he was a pagan. It would be one thing for Manasseh to do what he did if he had an ungodly dad. But that, it's, it's doubly depraved. Because not only did he have a godly father, he was raised in a time where people loved the Lord and he still rebelled. He rebelled anyway. This morning I understand why unsaved people act like unsaved people. I understand that. But it's hard to understand, is it hard to understand when people who've experienced God and who've walked with God and who've experienced the sweetness of the Savior why they would rebel against him. That's what's hard to understand. There may be a Christian teenager in here. You've got a good Christian mom and you've got a good Christian dad and you couldn't have it any better if you asked for it. But you're still rebelling. There may be a Christian dad in here. You know your wife is the best thing that's ever happened to you. You know she's way better than you deserve. But yet you have wondering eyes anyway. There may be a disillusioned church member in here. You're upset about the littlest thing when you forget that there are people around in places in the world today that would kill to go to a church like the one you get to go to. Rebellion has a short shelf life. You want to know why? Why? Rebellion has a short shelf life because like milk left out of the refrigerator, it stinks to God. Manasseh had unbelievable depravity. And you know what followed? Point number two, unbelievable destruction. Unbelievable destruction. We see that God sends prophets to Manasseh and they have a word from the Lord. Look at verse number 10. And the Lord spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and hath done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with idols. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, and whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle, and I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of mine inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which is evil in my sight, and it provoked me to anger. Since the day their fathers came forth out of Egypt, even until this day. Hey, hey, guess what? Depravity always leads to destruction. Rebellion always leads to ruin. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Nobody sins and wins. Not even the king of Israel. I'm not even the king of Judah. And what God does here is he takes us through three different scenes. He takes us through th- three scenes that will help us understand the destruction that's going to come upon Israel. The first thing he does is the first place he takes us to is he takes us to the orchestra. Verse number 12. Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, but whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. You know what tingle means? Tingle means to vibrate violently. Imagine, if you will, you sitting in a chair and somebody coming up and sitting beside you and they have two big symbols in their hand. And right beside your head, they crash those symbols together as hard as they can. The sound and the vibrations from that, you're just going to vibrate your whole head and it's going to be overwhelming to you. God said, When people hear what I'm going to do to Jerusalem and Judah, it's not going to be a soothing flute. When they hear what I have done to them, they will be overwhelmed with terror. Second place he takes us to, the second scene, is he takes us to a demolition site. He says, and I will stretch over Jerusalem, the line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab. You know when you use a plumb line? You use a plumb line when you're building something. You, 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 you run a line, you snap a chalk line, you, when you're trying to get something square, you're trying to line something up, you need to be exact and precise, you try to get something level, you run a plumb line. Now, you do that when you're building something, but you usually don't run a plumb line when you're destroying something. Now, if I need to destroy something, I'm just going to give McKenna a, jab, a sledgehammer and say, go after it. I said, well, if I need to destroy something, that's all that's going to happen. But you know what? God said, when I destroy Israel, I'm going to use a plumb line. Because their destruction will be exact. It will be precise. And it will be total. Third place he takes us to is the kitchen. He says, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Ever go to dairy queen and order a blizzard? The little blizzard test, turn it upside down. You always want it to fall out because you get it free then. I hope they make you a new one. Okay, it's free, eat it off the counter. You know what God said? God said he's going to take Jerusalem, he's going to turn it upside down and shake it and wipe it. He's going to hold it upside down until nothing's left. That's the destruction that's going to come upon Israel. And all these prophecies, they were going to be fulfilled within a 100 years of when the prophet prophesied. Turn over to chapter 23 in, your, in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 23. 2 Kings 23. We have unbelievable depravity. Now we have unbelievable... unbelievable destruction look at chapter 23 in verse number 26 you see chapter 23 it tells us of a revival under Josiah see Josiah was Manasseh's grandson and uh, Manasseh and, and Josiah had a, he, he he did right in the eyes of the Lord and he bought a great revival in Israel but guess what it wasn't enough Verse 26, notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah, because all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. You see, even though Josiah, he led a national revival in Israel, uh, under Manasseh, the people had reached a point of no return, and judgment was inevitable. Not even Josiah's revival could stop it. Did you know it is possible for an unbeliever to reach a point of no return with God? So I don't believe that. It's true. In Romans 1, we see that people were looking at creation, and, and just looking at creation, they could tell that there was a God. But then Romans 1 says, They changed the glory of uncorruptible God into an image made light to corruptible man, and their hearts were darkened. So what does God says he did to them? He says, wherefore God also gave them up unto uncleanness. And then it says, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Unbelievers can actually come to a place where, it come to a place in their rebellion where God says, fine, you don't want me, you can't have me. Unbeliever can come to that place. You know what the sobering thing about that is? The sobering thing about that is, is we don't know where the line is. We have no idea where the line is. So if you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the sane and rational thing for you to do is get saved before time runs out. Get saved before you cross that line. And get saved while there's still time. See, the kind of depravity that was around in Manasseh's day That same kind of depravity is around in America today. It is possible for our church to have revival. It is possible for revival in America. It is possible for your family to have revival. But there is coming a day when the line will be crossed and God will say, no more. Day is coming. Manasseh did not respond well to the prophets. Josephus was a Jewish historian and lived long ago. And Josephus said that Manasseh slaughtered prophets every day. There was a first-century Christian named Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr said that it was Manasseh who took the prophet Isaiah, put him into a tree trunk, and sawed it in half. Let me ask you a question: What do you think God thinks? Of the man who took the prophet that wrote Isaiah 53, put him in a tree trunk, and sawed it in half? What do you think God thinks of that man? God wants to get Manasseh's attention. Let me tell you something. He's going to. Turn to 2 Chronicles 33. 2 Chronicles 33. We have unbelievable depravity. Next, we have unbelievable destruction. 2 Chronicles 33. I'll give you just another second to get there. I want you to to see this. That's why I'm asking you to turn there. 2 Chronicles 33. If you have your places in 2 Chronicles 33, we're going to begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible says... Wherefore, the Lord brought unto them the captains of the host of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Now, it doesn't say here that Jerusalem was destroyed. No, 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 no. This judgment was just for Manasseh. This judgment was just for Manasseh. When it says they took him by the thorns, you know what that means? That literally means they bored a hole in his nose and they put a ring in his nose, like a ring in a bull. So they put this ring in his nose, and they attached a chain to this ring, and they force-marched him all the way to Babylon. The Bible says in verse 11 that he was in affliction. He's not shaking his fist at God anymore, is he? Unbelievable depravity brings unbelievable Destruction. Now, you may say this morning, Brother Brett, I thought you said that there was something going to be unbelievable about this story. I mean, we all know sin brings judgment. I mean, that was something we already knew, Brother Brett. So where's the unbelievable part? All right, here, here you go. Verse number 12. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father's and prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him, and heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God, and after this he built a wall without the city of David. Verse 15, and he took away the strange gods out of the Uh, And the idol out of the house of the Lord, and all the altars they had built in the mount of the house of the Lord, and in Jerusalem, and cast them out of the city. And it repaired the altar of the Lord, and sacrificed thereon peace offerings, and thank offerings, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Verse 18. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer unto his God... And the words of the seers that spake to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel. His prayer also and how God was entreated of him and all his sins and his trespasses. And the places wherein he built high places and set up groves and graven images before he was humbled. Behold, they are written among the sayings of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his own house. You know what I see here? I see number three this morning. Unbelievable grace. Unbelievable grace. The Bible says that Manasseh was in affliction. The Bible says that Manasseh humbled himself and he cried out to God and he asked God to forgive him and God forgave him. More than that, God restored him. God restored him back to a place of usefulness. God put him back on the throne. You know what verse 20 says? Verse 20 says, And Manasseh slept with his fathers. You know, there are Old Testament commentators that would, say, would tell you that means that Manasseh went to heaven. Manasseh was one of the meanest men in the Bible. He was probably the most depraved man in the Bible. And the Bible says we will see Manasseh in heaven. That's unbelievable. It's probably one of the most unbelievable stories in the Bible. Let me tell you something today. God still has unbelievable, inconceivable, unspeakable grace for depraved sinners. This morning, no matter what sin you're struggling with, no matter what sin you're, uh, no matter what sin you're struggling with, no depravity runs deeper than the grace of God. No matter what rebellion is in your life, no rebellion runs deeper than the love of God. There is not a Manasseh in this church. There is not a Manasseh in your family. There is not a Manasseh in this city that can't be saved by the grace of God. I still believe the grace of God can help a a drunk. I believe the grace of God can cure a drug addict. I believe the grace of God can cure immorality. If God can save Manasseh, and if God can use Manasseh, then He can save anybody, and He can use anybody, including me, including you. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God this morning? There was an old Native American Indian man. He had lived many years in sin, a missionary to the uh, place, to the reservation led this old indian man to the lord when this old indian man he got saved his life began to change and he began to tell his friends about the grace of god and the change in his life and his friends came up to him and said hey can you tell us about this grace what does it mean tell us about this change in your life the old indian man was a man of few words he went over to the ground and he dug in the ground for a minute and he found a worm He brought the dirt-covered worm and put it on a pile, a small pile of leaves. He reached in his pocket and got out a box of matches. And he lit the pile of leaves on fire on every side. Those pile of leaves began to burn and get closer and closer to that worm. And right before the flames were about to take over that worm, that Indian man reached down and grabbed that worm and pulled it up and held it in his hand. And he said, "Me." That worm. See, that's the heart of our God. No matter how depraved we are, no matter, no matter how low we get, no matter how long we've been digging around in the dirt, He will reach down if we call on Him, and He will save us out of the fire. Now let me talk to the Christian today. Christian, God's grace is our constant need. God's grace is our constant need. You know why? God's grace is our constant need because me and you fight a never-ending battle. See, we have something called a sin nature. No matter how long you've been saved, no matter how old you are, no matter how mature of a Christian you turn out to be, for the rest of mine and your life, we will fight a battle with sin. So because we have a never-ending battle with sin, God has for us a never-ending supply of His grace. Because it is never-ending, on any particular day, you might need four measures of grace. If you ask Him, He is more likely to give you five or six measures because His grace is without end of supply. It is never running out. I don't know about you, But I need God's grace today just as much as I need it when I got saved 30 years ago. The Bible says that God's grace is sufficient. The Bible says He's rich in grace, He abounds in grace. Maybe today you have a sin in your life and you need the grace of God. Maybe today you're going through a trial. And you need the grace of God. You know why this story is so encouraging? This story is so encouraging because if God's grace was enough and sufficient for a man like Manasseh, then God's grace is enough and sufficient for me, and God's grace is enough and sufficient for you.